You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat. I'm your host, Al Malafronte, coming at you from the Broadway Podcast Network studios with a real power hitter alongside me today. From the stages of Broadway to the big screen to the recording studio, My guest today has a career that spans nearly 40 years. Whether it's Baby, Cats, Miss Saigon, this Tony and Drama Desk nominee has one of the most iconic voices in the history of show business. You may even know a little Oscar-nominated song that she performed for the animated classic Anastasia, and is one of the true sluggers at 54 Below with her phenomenal concert residencies. In addition to this, I can safely say that she may be the one person in this industry whose passion for baseball and theater tops my own. Now batting, Liz Calloway. How are you, Liz? I'm great. That was an awesome introduction. You feel like you're back on Broadway now, right? I Extra do. theatrical? I do. It's very theatrical. Thank you. I, I mean, I can't even tell you how excited I am to have you here. Um, the 2019 baseball season just ended. I know that you might be in mourning for the Mets, but they made quite a push this summer. You know, Pete Alonso, probably your unanimous rookie of the year. Another Cy Young for DeGrom. McNeil probably looks like the best lefty hitter we've seen ever for the Mets. Overall, how do we feel about the Mets going into 2020? Uh, I feel very confident about the Mets. Um, it was an, an amazing second half of the season. Uh, as a diehard Mets fan, um, half the time I'm depressed, half the time I'm I'm always a cockeyed optimist when it comes to this team. So I feel really good. I'm very curious to see who our new manager is going to be since uh, my namesake, uh, no, no relation, Mickey Calloway, uh, was just uh, let go. I'm happy to say, you know, I feel bad for him because I thought he... I, I just feel bad for anyone who loses their job, and I thought the players played hard for him, but uh, I think it was a really good decision, and it was kind of cool to see my name trending on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, namesake aside, if you had to pick someone, Girardi, Madden, Showalter, who do you want? I mean, I think Girardi would make people happy. Uh, taking a risk with Carlos Beltran might be kind of interesting. If you could uh, prime away from the Yankees, he's working for Brian Cashman now. Well, 
We'll see what happens. Well, there'd be some fence mending that would need to happen, but uh, I don't know. I, 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 but I do think it will be an improvement. I, Mickey Calloway did some very good things, but I think some of his decision-making after two seasons were not as good. First season, I, I get, you know, being a, a first-time manager, fine. Second year, eh, but so we'll see. And you got to sing God Bless America at game 162 this year. Dom Smith hits a walk-off home run. I think you set a nice tone for the offseason. Oh, my God. It was it was such a great way to finish the season. Even, you know, I, we all wanted Pete Alonso. He had, he had broken the home run record the, the night before. And, of course, I was home watching it on TV and listening to the radio at the same time. Uh, but we were like, oh, I want to see him do one more. And then when I saw that he was taken out, and I thought, oh, my God, the most, I said to my husband, the greatest thing would be for Dom to win the game for the Mets. And he did. So it was pretty great. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was so much hype around him. Maybe he'll, maybe if he could pick up the outfield, he might have a role on this team going forward. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, no, he's terrific. Now your upbringing is pretty unique that you got to split parts of your childhood in two of the country's ultimate baseball capitals, Chicago and New York. In the Windy City, you've got Wrigley Field right in your backyard. Fergie Jenkins was pitching for the Cubs, winning 20 games every year. Ron Santo and Billy Williams are socking 30 home runs every year. All three end up in the Hall of Fame. Over in Flushing, you had Tom Terrific winning Cy Young's. Bud Harrelson's playing a gold glove shortstop. Willie Mays even makes a cameo. Uh, two franchises. <laughs> I saw Willie Mays play. Did you really? I, I did, yeah. Wow. I did. I, uh, I, I, sh- I shouldn't have interrupted you, but you got me all excited thinking about – I have um, – Everyone knows I'm a baseball fan, and I'm a very loud Mets fan. And all my friends from Chicago are like, how can you be a Mets fan when you're from Chicago? And the truth is, my dad was transferred to New York um, in 1969. So I moved, and I lived in Huntington, Long Island. And of course, it was year of the Mets and the Knicks and the Jets. You know, it was like a great year for New York sports. And even though we moved back to Chicago, I always stayed a Mets fan. I mean, I, I like the Cubs, and my dad w- was a diehard Cubs fan, but my passion has always been um, with the Mets. Was 69 your first year watching baseball? Yeah. What do you remember about that? I don't really remember very much about the game. I remember I liked Jerry Grody. He had a mustard commercial. I was really, really young. <laughs> um, and I just remember like on the school bus, everyone on the bus ch- chanting, let's go Mets, let's go Mets. And it was just, it was like, it was really cool. And I, that's sort of how I started um, following the Mets. And then when I saw Willie Mays in fifth grade, I won best uh, student, girl student in the fifth grade. And, uh, and the prize was you got to go to a Mets game. So that was my first Mets game. And I happened to see Willie Mays. That was my first one in person. So it's so easy for us both in the baseball fan base and the Broadway fan base to be moved by a performer and none more iconic than Willie Mays, obviously. Um, when you look back at that, that run, you know, eventually you end up going back to Chicago was there ever any doubt in your mind that you'd be a Mets fan for the rest of your life? Never. Absolutely not. Um, I've always, I mean, I love sports and I uh, I never played baseball. I never played, I played softball, like Broadway show league, but I had never played baseball growing up. Girls kind of didn't play baseball back then much. Um, but 
No, I'm a very loyal person. Um, I I always root for underdogs, and I can't pick any two better examples than that than the Mets and yes, the Cubs. So exactly. there you go. Exactly. <laughs> um, what do you do? What did you do during '69 then? Because the Cubs and the Mets were going at it for the pennant race that year. That you know what? I had never seen a Cubs game, and my memory of being a really really little girl was I didn't really. I didn't really like the Cubs games because they'd come on and they would preempt my mom's soap operas back then. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so all I remember is it's just like the team, you know. I, I didn't really start watching baseball until then um, when I moved to New York. And uh, just a side note, I, I went to visit my dad. Um, this was the year after the big uh, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. 98, sure. Yeah. And I was visiting him in Chicago, and the Mets were playing, and my dad got tickets. So my dad was living in Chicago, very close to Wrigley. Had you been to Wrigley at, to the, that point, or this was going to be the first oh, yeah, time you no, gone? No, I had gone. You had gone. I okay. had gone to uh, games. And um, the Met, it was uh, the Cubs destroyed the Mets, um, but I caught a foul ball. We had we had um, we didn't have great seats because you couldn't get a Cubs. It was like the toughest ticket in town. My dad's like, I'm so sorry that you know we were sitting above. I think in the second deck above uh, home plate, and Gary Gaetti hit it. Oh sure. And uh, I always bring my mitt, and I got and I'll tell you, it's the best applause I've ever gotten. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Saigon, you know, yeah, secondary blah, 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 to blah. that. And of course, I'm yelling for, I'm cheering much to my dad's chagrin. I'm, I'm cheering for the Mets. And, and so like Cubs fans would come up to me and like, you don't want that ball, do you? Because it was, you know, hit by Gary Gaetti. I'm like, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> so I have it in a Lucite cube. Oh, home. sure. Oh, yeah. It's one of my prized possessions. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's cool enough that your dad accepted your Mets fanaticism. Uh, you must have had a pretty interesting child growing up because your father worked in the media. Right. Uh, your mother had a musical background. And you've talked a lot about uh, how both you and your sister were so involved in the arts. Take me through the Callaway household growing up. What was that like? Uh, a lot of music. Um, a lot of a, a variety of music, uh, jazz and Broadway and pop. Um, our parents used to give us money once a week to buy record albums, so they really instilled a love of music with us. However, I um, I was really shy and I didn't like to sing in front of people, and so the only time I would sing is if everyone left the house, and I'd sing in the shower, I'd sing in my bedroom with my hairbrush, you know, with my microphone. Um, and I actually thought that I might want to do something, I don't know, be a sports journalist or do something, anything but music, because that's what my mom did and that's what my sister did. And I was super shy. So I didn't start doing theater until I was in high school. And then I just fell in love with it and became obsessed with it. And that was the end of the story. Was there a key moment that gave you your confidence to pursue it further? Um, I don't know if it gave me confidence. I When I... Growing up, I was somewhat of a loner, and um, my parents got divorced when I was sophomore in high school, and I was doing in the chorus of a, a musical, and this girl, a kind of really popular girl in my high school, said, hey, I heard about your parents. Are you okay? You want to you hang out with my friends and me this weekend? She was like, really, really nice, and I'm like, sure. And so I suddenly had this group of friends, and I went, oh, if I do theater... I can have this kind of 
you know, family feeling and, and, and good friendships. So I went, I better get over my incredible fear of singing in front of people. And I did for the most part. You know, one thing that you've talked about before is obviously, you know, your sister was very involved in singing and it was a passion of hers. Uh, if I recall, a real common bond that you had was the love of the Tapestry album oh, from yeah. Carole King. Yes, we were very, very different, and we had very different tastes in music. But Tapestry, that was, you know, we were living in Riverdale then, and Tapestry was the album for us. It still is. We sing You've Got a Friend Together uh, as an encore to some of the shows we do. And um, she's actually coming in tonight, actually, to stay with me. And... Uh, yeah, no, that that definitely brought us um, closer together. We moved to New York together. Uh, I was 18. She was 21. We celebrated by going to a Mets game. Wow. Yeah, we I, lived I in can't a, think of a better yeah. celebration. <laughs> oh, no, they were awful. <laughs> they were so horrible. Oh, that was like, was that Joe Torre years when he was uh, managing? Yeah, yeah, and it was like Dave Kingman and, oh, my God, they were just awful, but it didn't matter. In fact, I think it was a Mets-Cubs game was our first game. And, uh, we lived in this little cheap residential hotel and I got a radio and I remember listening. I think it was the world series that year was Pittsburgh and Baltimore. That's right. Ken Singleton, Willie Stargell. Yeah. That was a great world we series. We are family. That's right. That was that. <laughs> <laughs> you sing that one in the show soon? That? No, but I should just have to put a little musical thing in here while we're talking baseball. Um, but, uh, I actually started making a list this year of like every profound moment in my life involving the New York Mets. And it was this enormous timeline of my whole life in, in interspersed with my career and, and all these wild things have happened. Um, so, which is why I, I think it's so cool that you have this podcast. It's, it's really neat. Well, thank you. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And you know, one thing I wanted to touch on, and I just find it very interesting, part of the reason why I started this was, you know, growing up when I was a kid, um, music was also a really key part of my life, of course, and so was sports. My father was a huge sports fan. Um, he was all, we're, We come from an eccentric Italian family, though, so he also had a great appreciation of the arts. And it was always interesting to me how it seemed like sports and theater had to live in such separate worlds or sports and music. Like you couldn't at least where I went to high school and middle school. Where did you go? I uh, grew up in Long Island. In oh, okay. Yeah. So it was always super interesting to me. And, and that was a tough time being the one guy in school who, you know, would, 
you know, go to play rehearsal and, um, you know, in the fall and then play baseball in the spring. And, you know, I wanted to bring up tapestry specifically because I think it's so interesting to me, much like you, as you know, you talk about a profound album. Um, I, I think tapestry has such an uplifting effect on, on people, anyone who listens to it. I, I, unfortunately I didn't discover it till my twenties, but for me with pet sounds by the beach boys, it was really mature content, much like tapestry is. And I think at a young age, you know, you talk about coming into your own and while you're going through a tough time and whatnot, you know, albums and music like that, they not only shape you as a performer, because you started to gain confidence as a performer right around the time right. the album came out. How do you think that, you know, music like that helps shape a person? I think, I think we all have different soundtracks to our lives. And I think sometimes you don't realize it until years later. Um, and in a way, I don't think I necessarily realized it until I started singing some of the songs that I grew up listening to, because it's, it's like putting on a jacket. You can admire it. And I, I didn't necessarily, I didn't understand the lyrics, most of the lyrics to right. Tapestry. Sure. And I just know I loved it. And I loved the cover of the, you know, it was a great album cover. And Carol King is, you know, she's with her cat. And it's just like, she was just, she was just, there was something about her that I found so accessible. And, um, but I think if you talk to everyone, everyone has some, uh, some songs or some records or albums or Spotify playlists that, that speak to them. And, you know, you need music in your life, whether you're a performer or not. Everyone, um, I don't know, music is so important. I don't think I, I realized it. Uh, and that's what I feel lucky about when I do concerts is that I can, I can sing, I love singing songs from the sixties and Broadway songs, but I, I really like sixties pop. And it's so interesting to sing a song and then to see the audience is enjoying your performance, but then they're remembering, oh, I used to listen to that. Or my mom used to iron to that song or, you know, and it's, I don't know. Um, I think, but I think music, uh, just, will play a very important part kind of throughout everyone's lives. And I find it interesting, you know, just to touch back on, you know, right around when you and your sister came to New York, it was right out of high school. So you must have performed a lot in high school and realized, um, you know, once I'm, once I'm done with high school, I want to go to New York City, make it as a performer. Not, that's- actually, that isn't sort of what happened. I went to college and went to college too. Oh, okay. So you went to college here in the city. No, I went to college at Cincinnati uh, the Conservatory of Music at University of Cincinnati. Very prestigious Amazing. institution. Yeah, they have a great musical theater program and went to University of Illinois. And I was there a quarter. And while I was there, I got an offer to do uh, join a, an equity musical theater company that was starting up in San Jose, California. And I was 17 at the time. And I just went, I want to take this opportunity. I moved to California fell through. <laughs> the job right fell away. through. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> now what am I going to do? I just packed up all my books for That's the semester. Right. On yeah, that, no, the I was West done. I, I quit college and I worked at an amusement park in, in Santa Clara, Great America. And um, my sister came out to, I think we did some heavy duty drinking that weekend <laughs> and she was going to leave college after two years. She said, I'm going to move to New York. I'm like, I'll move with you. I always thought I'd end up in New York, but I didn't. 
I never thought I would leave college and move to New York when I was 18. That was not in my plan at all. So once you got here, what's going through an 18-year-old Liz Calloway's head? Um, I knew I had potential, but I knew I was really raw and I needed a lot of work. So I took classes. I auditioned for everything I could. I got a job as a singing waitress. Wow. And Interesting. Uh, I, um, I did a club act at the duplex and, you know, and someone saw me in the duplex and uh, I had auditioned for Merrily We Roll Along. Uh, I went to the open call and uh, got typed out, even though I stapled my birth certificate to my resume. (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't see me because there was like so many people. And then this composer, Brian Lasser, went to this club act I did at the duplex and then told an agent he knew and said, hey, I just heard this young 19-year-old and you should submit her for the new Sondheim show because she's really good. And so as a favor to him, they did. And so I actually got an audition where I could sing 32 bars of a song. And five auditions later, I was cast in my first Broadway show. Were you ever intimidated by the audition process, you know, when you had first moved here? Because, I mean, that's a lot to take on, you know, because, you know, dealing with rejection potentially for the first time and, you know, putting together an act that you feel confident in, uh, you know, going in front of a casting director. What's that like at such a young age? Well, honestly, it doesn't get much easier still, you know, it's, it's in some ways, I think when you're really young, you're totally fearless. You have nothing to lose. At least that's how I felt. I had one go-to song. I used Be a Lion from The Wiz. Wow. I used it for everything, whether it was appropriate or not. (laughs) (laughs) I teach master classes uh, in colleges from time to time. And I, and I, in like auditioning. And I was like, you guys, you have to find a song that means something to you that you feel really represents who you are and that you can sing it when you have a cold and you can, you know, that just, and, uh, and be a lion was my song, which helped. Um, so, I mean, auditioning was never easy, but I also looked at it as it's good to get experience. So I'll audition for everything I can instead of putting so much importance on each audition. Again, I, 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 didn't, I didn't move to New York to be a star. I never thought about wanting to be a star or anything. I, my goal was when I moved to New York was to um, get in the chorus of an off-Broadway show within three years. I thought that was a very sensible goal. Of course, I didn't realize there were no courses. <laughs> <laughs> on off-Broadway <laughs> shows. Off-Broadway right? <laughs> shows. But uh, so... You know, but I ended up doing much better and much faster than I thought. But then I'd get a Broadway show. Everyone like, oh, my God, you're set now. And then it would close, and I'd go back to being a waitress. And definitely had my ups and downs. Uh, watched baseball throughout. I put in, I videoed every ba- Mets game. And back then, back in the day, there was something called sports phone. And if you were not, you don't, you've not heard of sports phone? I haven't. Oh Tell my me God. more. Oh, it was this 1-800 number you had to, I forget if it was 50 cents or what you had to put in. Um, it was a toll call and they would do the scores. So if I was out and I couldn't wait to get home to find out, you know, who had won, I'd call sports phone. Wow. Yeah. That's something else. Now it's like I've got my MLB <laughs> app and I, you know, I, everywhere I go, 
Oh yeah, it's so unavoidable. It's, yeah, it's amazing now. I, have you ever seen the movie Fever Pitch, by the way? I have not. It's an excellent one. I know what I'm just gonna scratch that whole thing because I don't want to ruin anything for it. Uh, ruin anything about it for you, but but I need to watch it. You need to watch it. Okay. There is something very similar to what you just described in that movie with Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. It's about the Red Sox. Yes, my, yes, you know, yes. By you, the way, I just want everyone to know Al is wearing a Yankee shirt. T-shirt, and I am wearing a Mets T-shirt. I mean, in all, fa- I mean, <laughs> you know, she had to do this. The you know, the first game of the division series when we're recording this, you know, as the Yankees play tonight. Yeah. Um, but you know what? All things considered, I I respect it. I respect it a lot. And we're a show about Broadway and baseball, not about Broadway and the Yankees. So just the fact that you're such a big, which is fan why is- I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Merrily We Roll Along closes after just a few weeks, and you know, you go back to waitressing, but then you kind of have that that breakthrough moment. You get cast in Baby, and it really sets the tone for the rest of your career and makes Liz Calloway a household name. What do you remember about that time? It must have been so exciting. It, it was an amazing time. Um, baby was such a gift. And I actually, I didn't have a normal audition process for Baby while I was doing Merrily. Um, and by the way, I was hired originally as a swing for Merrily. And uh, I heard about my agent that had submitted me, who's still my agent to this day, wow. by the way. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's right. <laughs> um, and they said, oh, they want to see you for a leading role at a show, um, uh, for a show at the public theater called Gallery, written by Ed Kleban, who wrote the lyrics to Course Line, and uh, was going to be directed by Richard Maltby Jr. And I remember going to the audition and Richard Maltby saying to me afterwards, you are just perfect for a show I'm writing about a pregnant college student. And I was just kind of went, oh, that's nice. And long story short, David Shire, the composer, came to see me do something because Richard told him. And I said to David, you know, I know you guys are writing this show. If you ever need someone to sing your songs, I'd love, I'd love to help you. I was totally naive and just trying to be helpful. And they're like, well, that's really nice of you. And uh, next week, Richard calls me and says, hey, you want to come over and learn a couple songs? So I learned a few songs from Baby. Every week, I'd come back, work on a couple more. And then one day the producer shows up and they introduced me. I said, is this an audition? And I said, well, you've kind of been auditioning all along. And I had no <laughs> idea. And I just, they gave me the part. Just so, young and naive and not even realizing no, that they're just I was getting ready to, to put you in the show. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to be helpful. And so we did a workshop of it and uh, a million backers auditions. And it was an amazing, it was an amazing time um, my first big role on Broadway. It was an incredible part, a great score. And, um, you know, and people, to, you know, I think because of Sirius XM, who plays Story Goes On all the time, there are people all around the country, even if they didn't see Baby, they know, they know about Baby and they know about that song and that's how they know me, which is really, really cool. Um, during Baby, I was, uh, it was my first anthem the Mets on Memorial Day. What year? It's always it always goes back to the Mets. It does. It's um, that timeline in your life with baseball was, is so yeah, relatable. It was uh Memorial Day 1984. Okay, so that's uh is that that's Doc Gooden's rookie year. Yes. And I remember and I'm 
I have a, uh, I found in my basement a video cassette and I haven't been able to look at it, but I remember I, of course I, I, you know, videotaped it and Tim McCarver, uh, Tim McCarver was the, he did the play-by-play, uh, for TV. And I remember watching it and he quoted Sondheim and I can't remember what it was that he quoted, but I remember thinking, oh my God, this is so cool that, that he, you know, he quoted Sondheim on my first anthem. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. And by the way, my first Broadway show I ever saw while I was living in New York as a kid was Company. So. I'm not getting married today. That, yeah. That one, yeah, yeah. That's a great show. Stephen sure. Sondheim, director of Hal Prince, Alvin yeah. Theater, and Merrily, same thing. So getting Merrily was incredibly cool since Company was my first Broadway show. It kind of comes full circle yeah. like that. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, how does it, I just want to touch on, you know, you singing the anthem, and you've done that quite a bit over the years at both Many Shea times. and City Field. How did that first happen? Does Now, you establish yourself as a big Broadway performer. Does everyone in the industry know, hey, Liz Calloway is a huge Mets fan, and, you know, the organization gets wind of it? How does that happen? Well, when I did my famous club act when I was 18, you know, the kind of started it all, I remember I, I wrote a parody of You Made Me Love You, and it was about, um, it started off with, you made me love you. And then it went into, let me sing at the ball game. Let me sing at Shay. <laughs> and it was this big song that I did a parody of about how much I wanted to sing the anthem. Um, and then, uh, I, I'm not sure, but I think it must have been someone through Baby um, uh, got me connected. But I did everything I could to have it be known. But that was like one of my life, that was one of my life goals. Um, the New York Times on Friday used to do this uh, weekend section and Enid Nemi was the reporter and they would do, I have Hirschfeld from that time of baby. And she interviewed me and I told her my big, my three life dreams were, um, I wanted, for some reason, I wanted to sing the anthem for the Mets I wanted to make page six of the post for something that wasn't true and to be why. <laughs> that was an aspiration. That was an aspiration because I thought it'd be better for it to be something that wasn't true. And uh, and to be on live at five because back then they used to have Broadway people come on. And I just thought that was cool. So like, I think in the same week, I all my dreams were fulfilled, which, you know, I was like, okay, now what am I going to do? I need, I need new goals, but... Uh, but singing the anthem for a team that I loved was, you know, I went to so many games and, you know, um, 
it, it was, uh, a, you know, back then I used to sing a lot of anthems. I sang uh, in the 86 playoffs. Interesting. Yeah. I, I wanted to touch on 86 specifically because you're, st- you're, you're still riding the high of baby at mm-hmm. that point. Um, what a time to be a New Yorker because I think you can relate to it so well, you know, being, you know, where you were at your life in 1986. You know, for me as a kid, when the Yankees had the Joe Torre dynasty, I was nine, 10 years old. I was, you know, kid on Long Island. I wasn't living in Manhattan, you know, early 20s, experiencing any career success. But as you get older, I noticed it even recently, um, you know, to an extent with the 09 Yankees, but the 2015 Mets, the way a great baseball team can capture the heart of a city. Do you, Now, do you think that you're the exception in Broadway where, uh, you know, you talk about 1986 Mets. You've got Doc and Daryl, Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, Ron Darling. The list goes uh, on and on. Does does the rest of the theater community get into something even as big as that? I think to a certain point, there's definitely a, a core of Mets fans. There's a lot more Yankees fans. And it's always been hard to be a Mets fan um, just because a majority of the Yankees fans I know would really – rub it in when the Mets were not doing well. There were some Yankee fans who kind of came over to the Mets side when in 86, which I didn't necessarily appreciate because I think you should be loyal to your team. There was a time, the only time I've actually really kind of liked, it's not that I don't like the Yankees, but when the Yankees suddenly had, anytime the Mets, a Met player would then play for the Yankees, I'd always still root for them. You know, once David met, Cohn, yeah, Daryl Strawberry, Dwight yeah. Gooden, sure, yeah, and uh, so I, you know, but I've always stayed loyal to that. There are more like stagehands, you know, when you're doing a show and you want to watch baseball, the stagehands, of course, will always have, you know, um, the the TV on, and that's where you'd hang out. Most of them were Yankee, are Yankee fans, but. Um, but there are there are a, a there's a nice core of us Mets fans. Judy Kuhn is a big Mets fan, by the oh, way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. We yeah. might have to talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> now I so I've always found that very interesting. So for me, for example, right now, Yankee playoffs are starting tonight. Um, eight o'clock show at the Winter Garden Theater. Um, you know, you'll you'll find time in those scenes when you're when you're not on stage to, you know, go off and catch the Mets in like a big playoff game. All your attention is focused to that. Does it distract you from what you have to do on stage at all? No. No. Okay. No. Okay. No. When I did, no. Sure. When I did, and when I did Cats, for instance, I had um, I had so much free time because Grizabella has 14 minutes of stage time. Also, Miss Saigon, I had a lot of uh, time where I wasn't on stage, so it was easier to follow a game. The only show I've ever done. Um, this was about five, no, f- maybe four years ago, I did Sunset Boulevard in Pittsburgh. And the role was so intense and so unlike me that I had to stay, I had to stay in character at all times and at intermission. And I couldn't, I wasn't friendly to people in the, you know, because I had to become this, this character. And it was the only show I've ever done that like at intermission, I wouldn't check a score. <laughs> <laughs> you went method. <laughs> yeah. That's true. When it was over, as soon as the show was over, then I go, I check my score. Sure. But that was the one, it was just too intense of a role to, mm. that I, I couldn't turn it off and just look at the score. 
What was Shea like in 86 during that playoffs? Oh, it was, it was incredible. Um, well, actually, I only got to go to the one game. Because you had to 86. perform the other nights. I was doing, yeah, I was doing a show off Broadway called Brownstone for okay. the roundabout. But I sang at the, the second home game against the Astros. We lost. Was which Mike was, Scott pitching that game? Wait, who? Mike Scott. Was he? You know, I don't remember. I know he was like the big villain of the Mets. That yeah, I don't remember. Uh, um, Glenn Close sang the anthem the first night. Another big Mets fan. Yeah, she's a huge Mets fan. And another Sunset Boulevard That's alum. That's right. That's right. So she sang the first night and we won. We lost the game I sang at. And I, over the years, my winning percentage is, is pretty tremendous of, I don't know how many times I've sung the anthem, but they very rarely lose. Do you calculate it? I haven't totally, but I should. Yeah. But I think I maybe in 30 years, maybe have lost four games. And out of how, how many times have you done it? Oh, uh, probably 30-ish. And Some years I did more than one. Oh, so you do it. Oh, so when you said the 30 years, okay, I got you. Yeah. Now. That's pretty amazing because their record's probably right around 500. Um, and they're playing 800 ball when you're singing the anthem. Yeah, they are. They, you know, and, and the Mets people are great. They always have been so good to me. When my son was born, they sent me a, a box of a Mets bib, a Mets, you know. But Harrelson was the coach and he signed. A, a ball for my son, dear Nicholas, always do your best. And oh, so, wow. so, and they've, you know, um, but I was so upset that I couldn't go to any other games. And after the night of the game six uh, of the World Series, I was at a restaurant downtown and of course there was a TV on and everyone was glued to it. So I, and I, so I got to see the Bill Buckner moment and that, which by the way, I've, I've, as a former cub, I felt bad for him that <laughs> sure. that was, you know, and he passed away recently. And that was such a, sh he was such a good player. And it was such a shame that that, you know, was sort of um, his legacy. His sure. legacy. Uh, at, but then the, for game seven of got the World rained Series, out first. got they rained out and that, and I could go to that, but it was rained out. Oh, so and you were next, all set to go to I game seven. I was all seven. set to finally go to game seven. And, um, and the next day, though, I had to fly to Chicago. My husband and I had done Baby in Chicago, and we were nominated for Jeff Awards. We had the tickets. We had to go to the ceremony. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go, but we went. And we both lost. <laughs> and I'm, like, sitting in this bar watching the game. It's like, I could have been there. I could have been there. Every time the Mets have played the world, been in the World Series, I have been out of town. I was recording my 60s album in Los Angeles in the Subway Series. I was in Australia, the last World Series. That's when I knew we were going to go to the World Series because I went, oh, I'm going to be in Australia. The Mets are going to the World Series. <laughs> and, it were, and they beat your Cubs in the NLCS, and then, yeah, yeah it happened. I and shouldn't actually, say your I, Cubs. But. No, no, and I will say that I did not take pleasure in how I did not take pleasure in how badly the Mets beat the Cubs. That was, I felt bad. It was a sweep. Yeah, sweep I, I, and I felt bad for, you know, my Chicago friends about that. Um, and then the Cubs, you know, this year just fell apart at the end. And so I felt, you know, sorry for them. Yeah. And Joe Madden's out of it, but Hey, he could be coming to Flushing soon. Uh, yeah, I don't think so, but you never know. So, you know what? The Mets win the world series in 86 fast forward a couple of years. Now I want to make another baseball parallel to you, but 
I'm going to use my New York Yankees as an example of that. Go ahead. All right. I I want to bring this up to you, and you can tell me whether or not you agree with it. There's a couple of roles on Broadway that are just prime real estate. And the 1990s, I think you embody that more so than anyone, whether that be originating a role or stepping into one that's pretty iconic. Think of it like center field for the Yankees, DiMaggio, Mantle, Bernie, Johnny Damon, pretty pretty rich legacy. Uh, Let's start with... Miss Saigon, you originate the role of Ellen, one of the biggest smash hits in the history of Broadway. Um, At this point, you're in a different chapter in your life. What's that feel like when you're creating a role like that, that that still to this day, you can look back on it, you know, almost 30 years later and look at it so fondly? Well, you know, it's interesting. It was, I felt incredibly lucky to get to play Ellen on Broadway. But it wasn't the same feeling of originating a role uh, like Baby was, Lizzie and Baby. Because they had done it in London first, it was, um, even though they changed my song somewhat, uh, I didn't necessarily feel like, oh, this this is my part. This is, you know... Lizzie felt very much uh, in Baby, felt like that to me. It was still an honor. It was the first time I was in a show that was a hit. It was a hit before, and it was a it was a hit before it opened. And so that was nice, you know, after being in a lot of shows that, you know, would didn't run that long. Um, wasn't necessarily my favorite show I've ever done but I was very happy to do it. I actually gave birth during rehearsals to my son. They hired me pregnant, and I started rehearsals eight months pregnant. Uh, Had him two-week maternity leave, and then my first day back at work was the first day in the theater. Wow, so you made it back for opening night. I did. That's that's miraculous. It was the, well, it's not a bit, what would the baseball, it was like Willis Reed. uh, A basketball reference, okay. What what would be a good baseball? Kirk Gibson coming up with a hobbling leg, right? Yes, (laughs) yes. That's what it would be I was, yes, and having to climb a ladder after having a C-section was a very... Very interesting experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. There's shock. There, there's shocked looks in the room. Alan is Alan is is uh, shocked as I am right now. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. And to be perfectly honest, I don't remember that much about the experience. I was so sleep deprived. I never thought they would hire me. I just went to the audition. I said to my agent, "Don't tell them I'm pregnant. I just let me audition um, for future reference if they ever need a replacement." So there you go. And uh, yeah, it was, but I'm very happy I did it. And it was a really interesting experience to be in a show that you knew was going to run. That was nice. Um, When I did Baby, we had our closing notice up every week and then they'd take it down. If I'd known we were going to run eight months, I would have enjoyed it more. But I thought every week, this is the end. Um, And then I did Cats which was the first time I ever replaced someone. And, and I love doing Cats. It was, that was a great, great gig. And you did it for a long time, too. I did too. it on and off for five years. They were tremendous to me. I would, they'd let me go, and I did a lot of other things during that time. I did a lot of my animated movies. 
Um, and they'd give me a week off to go to Los Angeles and do Anastasia, or they'd give me time off to do sibling revelry with my sister. And so they were very generous. And, uh, but it was, that was another thing to, I think I, I, someone, somebody says to me, so why, how could you stay? Let me try that again. (laughs) People often ask me, how could you do something for five years, the same part? And, uh, I say, well, I have a very nice house. <laughs> no, but I, I and I, I'm, I'm joking because I, I loved doing Cats, and um, there are probably other kind other shows I probably wouldn't be able to do for five years. But I did get a nice house. I could get a mortgage because, I'm, you know, when you're in the theater, there's so little job security. Now there's a lot more super long running shows, but this was back in. This is like the early 90s. And, you know, it, it was kind of a different world. And so, but if you want to apply for a mortgage and they're, you're in cats, okay, you're, you're, so, you're a solid citizen. Sure. And you're going to have a job for a long time. So that's amazing. You mentioned you work in animated films. Um, obviously, Anastasia kind of being the cream of the crop. You sing one of the most iconic songs, not just in the history of animated films, but film in general. What was it like going through that? That Did you realize that it was something that was so big at the time? I realized that I had an incredible song to sing. Um, I We had just recorded Once Upon a December, which is another beautiful song from the movie, and Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty, the writers, they said, hey, you want to hear your new song? Because I had done a bunch of different demos and they had tried different s- songs for this one part. And they played it for me. I was like, oh, wow, that's it. That's the song. I didn't realize until when I started doing concerts and touring the country and even you know, going to China and singing, how many people knew that song, how important it was to them and what an impact uh, that movie had on people's lives. And, you know, they just had a two-year run of Anastasia, the musical on Broadway, and that brought all this new awareness to the movie. And um, it was it was just, it was such a gift. It was like, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And last year, I think it was last year, it was kind of a crazy year for me because it was like, this is your life. There was the Merrily We Roll Along documentary that Lonnie Price did. That's that right. There was the revival of Cats, the revival of Miss Saigon, the Anastasia on Broadway. It was just, you know, Sunset Boulevard again. All these things, I, I was like, oh my God, this is so strange to have these important parts of my career being revived. I went, I'm getting Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but you're touching a new generation. That's yeah. got to be so surreal for you. Yeah, it's surreal and it's awesome. And that's really important to me. I did a, uh, I produced and recorded a duet of Journey to the Past with Christy Altamar. Oh, that must have been amazing. I've, I've amazing. heard it actually. Yeah, yeah so it was it amazing, is amazing that we got to sing together and we got to, and she was just so great. And it was so fun to go into the studio and to have this record of these two Anastasia singing together, and just it made so many people happy. And um, and I really want my music. I love recording, and I really want my music to be relevant 
for all generations, you know, and I, and I think that's something I'm really fortunate in that my, uh, the people who listen to my music are really all ages. That's important to me. You still crush it on stage doing these concerts, a phenomenal solo career. Uh, actually, your holiday album, Merry and Bright, is a favorite among our families. Oh, nice. Uh, you and your sister are actually helping kick off the holiday season this year at 54 Below. Why don't you tell the folks at home about what you have going on late November? Uh, the week of Thanksgiving, uh, my sister and I are doing our show, Broadway, The Callaway, and it's a really fun uh show of our personal Broadway favorites. There's a lot of, we have a lot of fun in, in together in the show. It's very funny. And, uh, we're, you know, Anne recently moved to Tucson, Arizona. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a ways away. It is a ways away. And she used to live five minutes from me. And so I said to her, okay, we have to spend one holiday together. So what if we could get, um, do a show together. And so I talked to the folks at 54 Below and they said, we'd love you to come the week of Thanksgiving. So it's a very fun show and and it's going to be fun on and off stage. Excellent. I can't wait to, I mean, I'm probably going to be there at this point. I might. I hope I, so. I'll leave the Yankee hat at home just like, you know, so I don't distract you while you're on stage yeah, and whatnot. That's just, you just do that now, right. You just do that. <laughs> what, what are the dates? Uh, the dates are... November 26th through November 30th, I believe. Okay. We could, uh, we could double check <laughs> yeah, that for sure. Yeah, I'm pretty but. sure. Um, can I tell you one more little baseball thing? I'd love to hear another baseball thing. So I was doing a concert uh, a couple of years ago in New Orleans, and I uh, was going Fun to be doing- city. Yeah, amazing city. And I was having dinner with the producer, and the show was the next day, and I was- checking the Met score at the dinner table, but I didn't want them to notice. They're like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm checking the Met score. I'm busted. And they said, well, you know, Ron Swoboda lives in New Orleans. And I'm like, you're kidding. I said, can we invite him to my show? The 69 Mets. Yeah. It's all coming full oh, circle yeah. now. Yeah. If you get my beat goes on, Liz Calloway sings the 60s album. If you read my liner notes, um, it, I talk about how 69 was such an important year of my life, including the Mets winning the World Series. So they said, oh, we'll try to get in touch with them. The next day, I'm getting ready to go to the theater, and I have this call, and I don't recognize the area code. Hello? Liz, this is Ron Swoboda. And you probably dropped the phone at that yeah, point, because that's like, what I would do. Oh, if my I God, was oh, my like- God, oh, my God. And he was in North Carolina, and he wasn't able to come to the show, but he was really nice, and he sent me a, a picture, autograph picture of his great catch. Wow. And I sent him my 60s album. And we have stayed in touch. He texts me every, when they hired Mickey Calloway originally. He wrote to me, you know, so wow. we, we're texting buddies. And I was supposed to go to a um, Mets game with him um, in the end of August. He was going to be in town. We were finally going to meet. And then he had to have heart surgery. And so he couldn't come, but I just got a, uh, I'm going to be doing a concert in January with Seth Rudetsky, a benefit concert in, in uh, New Orleans. And so I, I wrote to him and he and his wife are going to come. They're going to come. So All I'm right. finally going to meet Ron Swoboda. So <laughs> I'm very coming psyched. full circle. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, Liz, before we wrap our time together, you know, I want to acknowledge you've accomplished some pretty incredible things in your career on stage, on TV and movies, but now it's about to get tough. Oh, God. I thought it would be fun to play a little game that we call Fastball Derby. I want you to think of it like this. It's the ninth inning. 
Araldis Chapman is on the mound throwing 105. I ask you a question, you say the first thing that comes to your mind. How does that sound? It sounds good. I'm just, I'd rather face, well, I'd rather face Edwin Diaz, and I'd know I did a homer, but <laughs> that's okay. Touche, touche. <laughs> Bring in Familia, then you'll hit like three oh, home runs tonight. <laughs> goodness, yes. All right. Bring it on. So just answer. However you like. All what, right. First thing that comes to your head. Okay. Batter up. Bigger rush, performing on a Broadway stage or a solo concert. Broadway stage. You're a big Carol King fan, just like I am. Favorite song on Tapestry? Home again. Interesting. And not everyone would. Not everyone picks that one. And maybe. And I, I just realized that's uh, that would be a good baseball theme for uh, someone who's in a slump. Sometimes I wonder if I'm ever gonna make it home again. That was perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that's your favorite because I got to hear you do that right now. Please, you know, if you want to incorporate into the set list in November, 54 oh, Below, I'm sure the, the audience that's, would love well, to Well, actually, it. I think we might have a song from Beautiful in our show. So Amazing. A Mets player whose number isn't currently retired but should be. I mean, we're, you know, with the Yankees, that's a very regular ceremonial thing that we do. And the Mets have actually kept it pretty special. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, because we just, I, I know they're going to start to do more. Yeah, they got Kuzman next yeah, year. Yeah, Kuzman is next. Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I, I would maybe is it if it's not too soon for an eighty six? I don't think so. Player, um, I'd say Doc Gooden. Okay. Mm, I don't know. Actually, that's <laughs> that's a really tough. That's a tough question. Because he, it's so rare with the Mets. Yeah. I know, right. Yeah, that's why I thought it's, it was an interesting one. Yeah. No, that's a really good question. Um, Hopefully, Pete Alonso will be. Uh, All right, we got someday. some time before that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go to pre show ritual. Go to pre show ritual. Well, before a concert, I can tell you um, first, I say to myself, why do I do this? Why aren't I a travel agent? And then I say, nothing to prove, only to share. Okay. Greatest baseball player and greatest game you ever saw live. And you don't have to say Willie Mays because I know you caught him on the back nine. So I'm just curious. Oh, about yeah. This. No. And I don't remember that much about the game. Just remember that he was there. Um, the greatest. Say, say the question again. The greatest. Greatest player and game you ever saw live. Does it have to be the same? player in that game no no okay. they could be they could you could say you know david wright and you know game six of 86 that's just an example or you I, could say A -Rod. well I you mean, know i remember <laughs> the uh the game to, to uh, something i saw in person yes what year was it the todd pratt 99 20th anniversary of that division series yes that was iconic that was amazing electric that was really really electric Best player I ever saw. Hmm. 
it's really hard for me to pick. That's that's a tough question. Best player of a, a Mets player. It could be anyone. Just don't say Barry Bonds. No, I won't say Barry Bonds. Um, best player I ever saw. I'm going to have to, can I answer it after another question? Can you sure. edit it in? Yeah, I got to think about that. I've only got two more, so okay. think quick. Role and performance you're most proud of? Uh, Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. And before we get to the last one, any you know anything happened within the past fifteen seconds where you thought about that? You you could always let us know. We'll you know. Um, best player I ever saw was A Rod. No, um, Griffey. I saw. I, you saw I him in Cincinnati a, probably a few times, right? Yeah. Um, uh, who's your closer? Mariano Rivera or yeah, Chapman? Rivera. Okay. Rivera was pretty, he was pretty tremendous. And lastly, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Uh, follow your gut. Trust your instincts. Don't worry about what anyone else says. Do, do what you feel is right. That served you really well, Liz. I'm so grateful there's performers like you out there um, who not only are so down to earth, but have the same passions and interests as I do. And it's been such an honor to talk to you today. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Al. And and good luck with the playoffs. Do I sound sincere saying that? Not at all. Okay. But <laughs> that little smirk on your face kind of gave you away, Liz. <laughs> uh, no, I think Yankees have a good chance. I, I think hope they so. Have a, I think they have a really good chance. Could be Yankees, uh, Dodgers. That'd, That'd be, be fun. That would be a very good World Series. I would like that. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. And in the meantime, Liz, thank you again. That'll close out the ball game here on Break of Bat. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break of Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast and you can also find the broadway podcast network on instagram at broadway podcast network it's been so great having you here with us today and we'll see you next time hey it's leslie Odom jr here on the broadway podcast network to tell you about the rise theater directory a program of maestro music rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds if you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.